0: This is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 12, our mid-month episode for March 2016. I want to begin this episode by saying a huge thank you to all of you out there and hello to all of our new listeners. This last episode with Rob Bell was our biggest episode to date and certainly while Rob's name recognition played into it, I saw a lot of you out there sharing about the episode on Facebook and retweeting things and helping to get the word out and I am so grateful for your support of this show. It was also cool to see that some of the podcast listening stats have spread out across the globe. We now have downloads so far in 23 countries and our largest non-U.S. downloads so far come from Canada, the U.K., South Africa, and Thailand. So hello to all of our international listeners as well. I'm so glad that you're with us. And of course, for those of you who have discovered us through the Rob Bell interview, you also went back and checked out some of our archives, which made me really excited. I I do hope that you like what you found and you choose to subscribe and stick around with our growing community. It's my intention with this show— to have a mix of guests, including people you've heard of, like Rob Bell, and people you may not have heard of. And we'll soon be branching out even further, out to guests that aren't necessarily in traditional ministry or even ministry at all. But what I can promise you is that all of our guests are people from whom we can learn and who can make us better in the areas of preaching, teaching, and communication. And now for those of you who are new to the podcast, our format right now, and it may change in the future, you never know, but our current format is to interview a guest at the beginning of the month and then here in the middle of the month, we reflect and build on that conversation. And whenever we can, I like to start off with listener feedback. And so one of our first messages that we got back was from Joshua, who wrote in over Twitter. And he said, great interview with Rob, beautiful wisdom, heard him share things I hadn't heard him share before. And he went on to say that he was especially interested in the communicators and books that had influenced Rob. Well, Joshua, to give credit where credit is due, I got the practice of having a standard set of closing questions for guests from Tim Tim's questions do an amazing job on his podcast of giving a quick, yet surprisingly deep window into his guests. And one of my favorite questions that he asks is, what book have you given as a gift most often? And so I try to accomplish the same thing with some of the questions that we ask that dig into the influences that have inspired and helped shape how our guests approach their work. Now, one of the things that was surprising to me is that the first standard question, I generally ask the guest to share essentially a big challenge or a big highlight from their work, or I say you can do both, and I figured most guests would choose to share just a highlight or two, and yet I think everyone so far has chosen to share both, and there's something really powerful about sharing a challenge that we've faced, and there's so much we can learn from those times, and so I've been both surprised and grateful. And now, reflecting on what Rob shared during these questions, it did not surprise me that a couple of the communicators Rob talked about were comedians. He named specifically Eddie Izzard and Ellen DeGeneres, and he mentioned at the top of the episode that he collaborates frequently with Pete Holmes and when he talked about Ellen in particular he mentioned being in awe of the structure and the delivery the emotional connection that Ellen is able to make with her audience and I have a very similar creative connection to the work of Mike Birbiglia now both Mike and Ellen do more than just tell jokes they tell stories but even more than that they're not just funny stories but they're funny stories that have a point and a weight and an impact A couple years back, instead of just doing another stand-up show, Mike Birbiglia wrote a one-man off-Broadway show called Sleepwalk With Me. And the running gag throughout the show, the sort of frame to it, is that he has this medical condition that causes him to act out his dreams. He's not paralyzed when he sleeps like the rest of us. And so this leads to some obviously funny but also dramatic and sometimes dangerous episodes like the time he jumped through and out of a second-story window of a hotel while completely asleep. Yet within it, we get windows into his life and his relationships. And it was such a unique project that he ended up getting to turn it into a feature film with the help of Ira Glass from This American Life. Now, both the film version of Sleepwalk With Me and a live version of another of his one-man shows called My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, they're both on Netflix if you want to check them out. And I just think there's so much we can learn from communicators like this. And I do hope in the future to get a comedian as a guest here on the podcast because there are so many parallels between stand-up comedy and preaching. And now jumping back to, messages from our listeners, Ryan wrote in to say that he was impacted by Rob's distinction between having to say something versus having something to say. Ryan wrote, all too often, I find myself in the former, but my calling means that I'm charged with living in a way that leads to the latter. Now, first I would say, Ryan, we all go through seasons if we speak or preach or teach or even write regularly where the well seems a little dry. This is something that I've talked with our previous guests about. I remember most clearly, talking to McRae De DeVega back in episode one. And the more quote-unquote content we have to create, the more pressure we can feel building over time. And I put those verbal air quotes around content because really a sermon is so much more than just content. We're doing so much more than just filling time or filling up a blog post or, or whatever it is that we do. But we can certainly go through seasons where it feels like this is the goal, just to fill our time on Sunday, just get through that next assignment. That's the minimum we have to, accomplish but when I asked Rob about what caused the switch to flip for him he talked about becoming the kind of person who notices who asks questions and who orients their life around the craft of preaching and I have to admit I felt a little twinge of guilt I think I even owned up to it when he talked about the culture of people who walk around with their noses stuck in their smartphones while at the same time life is passing you by and you're walking by amazing people and stories and experiences that can feed into a few future sermon or small group or blog post or whatever it is that you're creating. In his five hour video series on preaching called Poets, Prophets and Preachers, he talks about becoming a collector. And and so anything that sparks your interest or catches your eye, collect it in some way. This is one of the good things about having a smartphone. Of course, there are services like Evernote that sync everything to the cloud. So there's really no excuse not to just take a picture or jot a note or make a quick voice memo. Maybe if you're like me, you get frustrated typing on your phone because you make more typos than you actually spell words correctly. You know, take a small pocket notebook or something, but but you have no no excuse not to collect the things that capture your interest. And even if you handwrite stuff, you can always take a picture of it later and upload it to a service. Maybe if you're like me and you pay the couple extra bucks a month for Evernote Premium, it can then turn the words on your page, if you have clear enough handwriting, uh, it can turn the words on your page into searchable content. Of course, being a collector is predicated on you actually having interest in the world around you. And I once heard both actor John Hamm and Rob's friend Elizabeth Gilbert say that to be interesting, you have to be interested. To be interesting, you have to be interested. If you wanna be an interesting preacher, you have to be an interested preacher. And now, we're all different people. We can be curious about different things and that curiosity can express itself in different ways. Like, I love podcasts. I listen to them constantly. I know plenty of people who love to read nonstop. Others love documentaries or films or television. Some of you may like striking up conversations with strangers at your local coffee shop or while you're out hiking on a trail. And some of us may collect stories of people. Others may love history or poetry. People like Rob have an incredible passion for words, especially ancient Greek and Hebrew words. There's no definitive list of things to do or read or watch or listen to in order to be a great communicator, but there has to be a passion and a curiosity inside of you somewhere. And If you feel like we all do at times, like you're in a season where you're preaching or teaching or writing is all about just filling the time or the space allotted, maybe it's time to check out your passion level to check your level of interest and and ask yourself, are there things I can do to jumpstart it again to spark my curiosity? The multiplier for all of this is time. The further in advance you know what you're preaching or teaching about, the longer you have to look for those things and process those things. It also helps you know what to look for. It can help shape the questions you ask when you strike up those conversations with people in your community. Back in episode 10, Brian Johnson shared about how he was able to plan out his sermons for all of 2016, and it wasn't actually as hard as he thought it would be. It didn't take nearly as much time as he thought it would. And so if you missed that conversation and are interested, I would recommend that you go back and check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Another aspect of time is actually finding the time to get the sermon or lesson prepared and written. Back in January, I got to go to one of Rob's events for communicators, and he shared with us this very simple but super practical tip. He said, put the various parts of writing your sermon on your to-do list. Maybe you're like me, and you just have write sermon on your to-do list, but he said there's so many parts actually to it, and different parts require different amounts of time and focus. So for example, don't take the quiet, focus time you get in your office to search Google images for some illustration you need. That's a waste of good time that you could be spending reading and processing or actually writing. Instead, put that on your to-do list and maybe do that where you're somewhere waiting in line or a different part of the day where you're tired and don't have as much mental energy. This reminds me of our conversation with Chad Brooks back in episode three where he talked about matching your tasks with the time and mental resources you have. You know, If you're a morning person, do the hard work in the morning and put the mindless stuff in the afternoon. Vice versa, if you're an afternoon or night person. The same dynamic applies to our sermon and lesson planning. By simply aligning what needs to be done with when it can best be accomplished will no doubt help the quality of our messages, but also the efficiency in preparation. Because the truth is, there are likely not many of us out there that are only teaching and preaching pastors. Most of us have other responsibilities as well. So I do want to thank both Joshua and Ryan for writing in. Thank you, too, to everyone else who sent kind words about the episode. I would feel a little weird just reading a bunch of, hey, I loved it, it was great here on the podcast, but know that I got those messages and I really appreciate them. And if you'd like to be like Joshua or Ryan and have your input included in the show, you can tweet at Art of the Sermon. You can leave a post at facebook.com slash Art of the Sermon or leave comments on show notes at artofthesermon.com, maybe comment on our Instagram posts. Again, username Art of the Sermon. I know you can Google, you can find all that stuff, but feel free to write in, even if you're wanting to comment on one of the episodes from the archive. So maybe you have more thoughts about what Rob shared or even all the way back to episode one last November. That's okay. Send them in and we'll find a time to get them in future episodes because I truly want your voice to be a part of the conversation here. Now, there are two more related points from Rob's interview that I want to touch on quickly, and then we'll close with something that might have splashed across your Facebook network recently. Well, first, Rob said towards the end of the interview that one of his mentors had taught him the importance of having a solid structure in your sermons. He said an airtight structure is critical for him, yet at the same time, structure breeds spontaneity. It allows you to play with the content that fills the structure. You can follow your own tangents or plug in different stories if you know exactly where you're going and more importantly, why you're going there. You know, you might have to preach for two vastly different services on a Sunday morning. Maybe you have a traditional service and a contemporary service. The things that work in one service may not work as well in the other service. It's all about context. But if you understand the structure, what role that particular quote or illustration or story is playing, you can interchange those pieces of content with something that might better connect with the audience but serve the same purpose. So you have to ask questions like, what does this quote do? Does it reinforce another Another point is a story meant to change the tone, maybe lighten the mood or conversely bring in a layer of seriousness. Is that illustration meant to help make a personal connection? You see, if you have a firm grasp on what each individual piece does and what the larger movements within your sermon or lesson are meant to do, it actually provides more flexibility. Now the related point connects with probably my favorite thing he said in the whole interview. You work really, really, really hard so that it appears like you're just talking. This is very similar to things that I've heard improv actors say before, and it's so true, isn't it? You have to work Work so hard in order to make it look like you're not really working at all. One of the practical things that Rob gets asked all the time is about memorizing. And I do think. Rob probably has an amazing memory. I think he works really hard at it. I also think having 25 years of experience doesn't hurt, but that airtight structure we just talked about helps too. Now, back in January at the communication event, he diagrammed for us his two and a half hour talk, Everything is Spiritual, that he did across the country last year, and he put it all on a single sheet of flip chart paper. Now, it was just a rough outline. There weren't too many details or even really words, just some shapes and some letters. He was obviously doing it quickly, and at the 30,000 foot level, but it was his understanding of that top level structure that helped him memorize it. And I was able to bring that chart home, and I'll post a picture of it on the show notes at artofthesermon.com. I did have to fold it up to get it in my suitcase, but I think you'll still get the gist of what's going on. Okay, now to close. As I said, if you're a pastor or a preacher or even someone who's connected to the church world, you likely saw a YouTube clip of Andy Stanley calling parents who take their children to small churches selfish. Now, I would encourage you, if you've not had the chance yet, go and read the interview he did with ChristianityToday.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. He apologizes for his comments. He tries to explain both what he was trying to say and the value he sees in small churches, but I don't bring this up to engage the content of what he said. I Bring it up because this is something that we've all likely done at one time or another and that said something that didn't come out right. And it's kind of interesting that it happened to Andy. It's good to know that even someone whose books are recommended by almost every guest that's been on our podcast, these kind of things happen to them too. There's sort of two scenarios to a situation like this. And the first one is what happens if it wasn't actually a mistake. Likely, some people watched this clip and thought, this is an authentic window into what Andy actually thinks. I knew it. He's just one of those big mega church guys. I don't like people like that. Well... Some probably still think that, even though he's apologized and said that it didn't come out quite right. Andy, obviously, like Rob Bell, is a major public figure. His words are often parsed and processed, lauded and criticized more than most. But here's the thing that same thing can happen at our local level as well, because like it or not, if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader, if you're even a volunteer leader inside of your church, you are a form of public figure, and your words have consequences. People are listening, and they mean things. Andy says it was a mistake, but what do you do if it wasn't a mistake? What if you said what you meant, but maybe it didn't come out quite right, or maybe it didn't have the anticipated impact? Obviously, I think it starts with listening. Now, this doesn't mean that you just open your yourself up to be abused by everyone that's ever had an opinion, but perhaps you can find some people in your church or in your community, people that you respect, people that respect you, that are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, the kind of people who would engage in a helpful way and help you see the impact that it had on the people that heard it. The other side, the other option, is what happens if you do get a little carried away, if something just doesn't come out right. One of my friends, when he posted this clip, uh, he wrote the caption, I'll bet he wished he had a manuscript. that day. And of course, this is certainly a danger if you do anything less than a straight reading of a full manuscript. Those of us that work off of notes or an outline or even maybe no notes have probably all had something like this happen to us because when we start relying on our extemporaneous speaking ability, even when we know the gist of what we want to say, sometimes we end up following a line of argument or saying a word or phrase we didn't mean to say. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're preaching something and it's kind of that out-of-body experience? You look down at yourself and think, where am I going with this? Why did I why did I say this? But of course, even if you have a manuscript, you can choose to leave. It, especially if you're overcome with emotion. In the middle of this clip, Andy even stops and says, can you tell I'm passionate about this? There is a danger to this, especially in the realm of humor. Now, I love to use humor, but I have come to learn that my filter is a lot slower when I'm preaching things just tend to slip out. And like with this one clip, a smaller part of a bigger message can become the unintended focus. It can distract from what you're trying to accomplish on the bigger level, and it can even hurt relationships, making people less likely to listen or trust you in the future. So I think the way Andy handled it is very admirable. He gave an unqualified apology and then gave a more in-depth Explanation. Now, we're not all going to need to go do that on Twitter or give an interview to Christianity today, but certainly an apology, listening, understanding, working to build the bridges back is very key if we have a trusted role as a communicator. And now, to try to help us all learn from our mistakes, do you have any what was I thinking moments that you'd like to share with the podcast audience? Do you have any jokes or many rants or even not so many rants that found their way out during a sermon or a small group? Feel free to send those in via Twitter, Facebook, or the show notes at sermon.com. If we get some good ones, I'll be sure to share them on a future podcast. Two quick announcements before we close. The first one I mentioned last episode, Reverend Sarah Heath, our guest from January, appeared in an episode of the online series Chuck Nose Church. That episode is now live, so head on over to ChucknoseChurch.com to see Sarah in action. And then secondly, Facebook Live, which is live streaming Facebook's sort of answer to Periscope, is now available not just to individuals, but to pages as well. And so I'm going to start experimenting with it on the Art of the Sermon page. I would love to get on there and talk to you about the episodes that have just come out or maybe before we talk to a guest in the future. I'll ask you what questions you like me to ask them. It's just another way for us to connect and get to know each other and get better at preaching and teaching and communication together. But in order to know when those broadcasts are going live, you need to like the Facebook page. So if you could head on over to facebook.com slash Art of the Sermon, then you'll see those pop up in your newsfeed. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 12 of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. And as always, I would love to hear what you think about the show and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username, Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on April 7th, and so in three weeks, you'll get to hear an interview with my good friend Derek Scott III, the Executive Director at Campus to City Wesley Foundation, a college ministry serving multiple campuses in Northeast Florida. Well, thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.